0: How's everyone doing today?
1: Good. I'm excited to get into another episode of the podcast, Day One FM. Podcasting is (laughs) where it's at, I hear.
0: I agree. I couldn't agree more.
1: Clara, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Also excited to dive back into podcasting slash audio.
1: I'm curious how many podcasts you guys listen
0: to. I'm trying to listen to more. I would say I have a rotation of like three consistent podcasts. I listen to like The Guardian Football Weekly to get my Premier League fix. I listen to Plain English with Derek Thompson and that that one I really like. That one it like spans tech, the economy, politics. It's like pretty much everything I could want in one podcast and he has some really great guests. Um and then I got to say, I do listen to How Long Gone every now and then. I know that's a polarizing one, but I mm-hmm. I enjoy it.
1: How about you, Clara?
2: Um, Let's see. I listen fairly regularly to podcasts, but I feel like for me, it's normally less news. It's more just like ambient fun facts like the one I really love is 99% invisible which is done by this industrial I think his background is maybe an industrial design but each episode is just kind of a deep dive into like a weird historical topic like they've they did one about snake venom and how difficult it is to come up with antidotes because there's so many different snakes so I feel like that's what I like in podcasts I'm not a big long reads person so I feel like a lot of my, yeah, sort of longer form journalism and comes from podcasting versus coming from um, reading. Not to say I don't read.
1: (laughs) I was reading a really interesting Culture Next report that was released by Spotify. And one of the stats in here said that they saw a 40% increase in average podcast listenership among Gen Z's on Spotify between the first quarter of this year and the year prior. So I'm curious if you have, as both card-carrying members of Gen Z, uh, begun listening to more podcasts since this time last year?
2: Yeah, that's an interest. I wouldn't say that I have, but I definitely have had a couple of friends get into podcasts really heavy. And a lot of them are kind of these niche ones. I don't know if either of you are familiar with wet brain podcast.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I personally don't love it. And it's become sort of a divisive piece of conversational topic. Um, but that's one that's come
1: up quite a lot. I thought I you, know, you were going to
0: say this niche podcast called Red Scare.
1: am <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Well, I only know of wet brain in the context of the piece about the return of like Catholicism as a trend and how they have a podcast all dedicated to how people were becoming more devout in the downtown New York world is that what else can you shed light on regarding wet brain.
2: I mean, I I will be completely honest, I have not listened to an episode of it, but from what I hear, a lot of it is that sort of these two hosts diving into what's what in downtown New York culture, and also from what I hear, it can sort of veer into maybe, I don't know, the more pedantic parts of trying to understand downtown culture, but I know some of the other topics that have come up are like... Late stage capitalism, and it's a lot of like throwing around, I don't know, famous economists' names and theory. And so it is kind of one of those like denser two kids with a microphone type of things. Um, but I think to be fair, I think that's what a lot of podcasting started as, and like what a lot of it has become. I think that people have built really cool platforms off of talking about something that starts as just this niche topic that they kind of feel like they're the only two that care about and end up building a much, much bigger community.
1: So coming in hot with another stat quickly, 47% of Gen Z's said they've joined a digital community on Reddit or Discord for fans of a particular creator. Hence your Patreon subscription. I sign up for the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, which I very much enjoy, wow. but it's not for everyone. It's <laughs> very intense.
2: Wow. For
0: those listening, who may who might not know who that is, <laughs> in a brief time.
1: yes, yes, the uh, famous author of American Psycho, Less Than Zero. Um, He's a screenwriter. He comments on movies. Um, yes,
2: I just got a TikTok about him. Funnily enough, but to throw a stat back, actually, this was a while ago, um, back in like the Zoom heyday. But they were saying that on Zoom calls, people pay more attention to what's being discussed when there are no cameras on versus when there are cameras on. And I think that's really interesting and goes against a lot of what I feel like has now become common knowledge, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. And there was all of this conversation about like, you listen much more to the tenor of someone's voice and you listen to the tone, you're better at gauging how people feel. And I feel like that's what gives podcasts a lot of like the intimacy feeling, like you were saying, Trey, you're hearing from a friend and you would go so far as to like pay to be part of their community. Um, I just wonder about that. Um, But I also wonder to your point, Eli, about using podcasts less so for wellness and more so to get the news. Because I think for me too, I find myself kind of more open to listening to podcasts about something that I don't know or care that much about versus reading a whole article about it. I feel like, especially if it's a host that I know and trust, if they're talking about snake venom and (laughs) the development of like drugs to combat it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll give that 30 minutes of my life. (laughs) You know, and so I wonder too, if it does kind of, because you have this inroad, you, you know, these people do influence you much more and bring you into things that you might not pay attention to so much mm-hmm. because you have this kind of pre established trust with them, which I think is also interesting from, from kind of like the social brand standpoint is that these people can really be conduits to pushing you into things that you already love and, you know, investing more deeply in those, but also bringing you into new spaces. Mm-hmm. Um
0: yeah I, I want to touch on that quickly Clara about how podcast I mean you're talking about you know snake venom or whatever I don't know where you pulled that out of but <laughs> I want to talk about podcasts as podcasters as like new collaborators or brand spokesmen as like conduits for a connection with a brand because I feel like you know that's something we'll get to in part two of the pod but also something we're seeing insofar as brands looking to collaborate with more niche, Um, I guess, creators who have very fervent followings. Like we talk about Mr. Porter collabing with Throwing Fits. We talk about How Long Gone collabing with Palms. Um, So, you know, curious if you think that, again, this is going to be, you know, fertile ground for brand activations moving forward.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that like in the early days of podcasts when there were few There were definitely a lot of direct-to-consumer brands that capitalized on that to great effect, like Harry's Razors or whatever. But I do think that audio marketing has still not reached its peak, I suppose. There's still a lot to be said for the conversion rates of advertising on traditional podcasts and in ways where it is a host-read ad that does have this feeling behind it or emotional delivery that you feel convinced because this host or creator is backing this product. But I'm curious to see how that will translate to other formats like Twitter Spaces or I'm not sure if they're still doing Spotify Green Room, or, you know, other sort of like UGC audio apps and how we send audio or going to be encouraged to send audio uh, in other ways.
0: It's interesting because I feel like when Clubhouse arrived on the scene, um, and again, that's something we'll talk more about. I feel like there was a huge rush, a brand rush for like, okay, what do we sound like? Like, what is our Sonic branding? And now I feel like that's kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit as, as has Clubhouse for that matter. But obviously, you know, the fact that their model has been replicated across more traditional social media platforms or uh, social platforms like in general, feel like that medium does have staying power. But again, I feel like we're kind of at this weird place where there was so much attention brought to like sonic branding and now I feel like that's not really a thing anymore
1: it's I think it's not it's a thing but you haven't heard about what's going on is my feeling like it's clubhouse was a huge thing because we were like I said looking for ways to connect in the pandemic and it was like let's hear people's voices when we can't see them in person so it felt much bigger than maybe it was supposed to be, which is why it failed so hard. But I think like sonic branding and the ways that brands use audio, especially even Spotify, I know uh, we've spoken before about how the like designs behind a Spotify song as it plays, um, gets people more engaged in listening to the song and leads to like a lot more listenership. So I think there are ways that sonic branding and ways that we treat audio are being kind of pioneered but at the same point, it's kind of under the radar because it's not on the forefront of anyone's minds, uh, you know, in the zeitgeist, I guess. All right.
0: Well, we talk about all of this and more on part two of the podcast where we're joined by Ashley Carman, a reporter at Bloomberg covering the podcasting, music, and audio space. We chat the current state of social audio, how podcasting could be the next advertising frontier, the Trader Joe's podcast and why some podcast guests are paying up to $50,000 to appear on popular shows. Tune in. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
3: I'm good. How are you
0: guys? We are doing great. Really appreciate you coming on today. So, For our listeners, could you just give us a quick background as to um, who you are and your beat writing at Bloomberg?
3: Yeah, so I'm Ashley Carmen. I am a reporter at Bloomberg who covers all things audio, so I cover the podcasting space, the music world, audiobooks, anything and everything you can imagine with audio. I've been on the podcast beat for quite a while now, actually. I was covering podcasts pretty closely when I was at The Verge, and I was at The Verge for six and a half years. I joined Bloomberg. At the end of February so it's been a little over six months I think now.
0: That's awesome so that sounds like a great place to start so to kick us off I was kind of hoping you might be able to give us a quick rundown as to the kind of the current state of play in the podcasting world because I know in reading your work and also just kind of surveying the landscape the the past two years have been pretty large for audio and podcasting in particular with big deals, big players. You know, you have the Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen podcast, Joe Rogan's quarter billion dollar deal, the call her daddies of the world, etc. I also think audio is one of the fastest growing sectors uh, in U.S. media uh, in 2020 and 2021. But kind of what we're seeing right now in tech and entertainment is that money is kind of dried up. You know, Wall Street is a bit more hesitant to just subsidize growth without any Uh, tangible ROI. So I know it's a lot, but I'm kind of curious if this you're seeing the same thing happening in the world of podcasts? Has there kind of been a hiatus, or is it still kind of growth at all costs?
3: Yeah. So you kind of you hit on a bunch of things. I mean, one of the big the biggest stories of podcasting, I would say, over the past couple years now, really since 2019 when Spotify entered the space, but but it was happening before too. um, Is the idea of consolidation? So really, just independent podcasters getting kind of snapped up by, or at least licensing their shows to the big platforms. Like you mentioned, Joe Rogan, as, as, a, as an easy example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a bunch of the tech platforms being acquired by various, or a bunch of, well, a bunch of podcast tech platforms being acquired by even bigger tech platforms. So as an example, both Spotify and Amazon acquired hosting platforms which is maybe not the sexiest part of the industry that we typically talk about, but like it's super important to the monetization side of things.
0: Right. Um, and really quickly, an example of a hosting platform, is that like Anchor or?
3: Yeah. Anchor is a hosting platform. They Spotify acquired Anchor. They do more of like the smaller shows. So mm-hmm. Spotify acquired Megaphone, which hosts some of the biggest networks and right. Amazon acquired Art19, which is a competitor. Um, so really we saw this kind of story of consolidation and yes, like you mentioned, tons of big deals, lots of big numbers being thrown around. And I would say, you know, recently we haven't seen as many of those big deals. Acquisitions are still happening. Serious, Serious XM acquired Conan O'Brien's podcast network recently. Um, there's other podcast acquisitions happening, lots of licensing deals, But broadly speaking, at least through my conversations, I do get the sense that money's not necessarily drying up, but more that people are trying to be pretty smart about those spends and making sure they're getting something tangible for what they're putting out there.
2: Yeah, and I'm kind of curious, too. I saw your article about um, Malcolm Gladwell's studio Pushkin acquiring transmitter media. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's quite the same as what you're talking about, but I was just kind of curious kind of in this story of consolidation, what you think that means in the way of innovation, because there was another article at the top of the year in Bloomberg that was talking about how all of the top 10 podcasts on Spotify are like over a decade old and the sort of challenge of if there's 3 million podcasts on Spotify, making new podcasts kind of rise to the top, both in terms of listenership and revenue and all these things. So I'm kind of curious in your mind, like, is this next wave of podcast, podcast world, is it less about new shows and more about building new franchises within existing podcasts, like international spinoffs, a morning version of a, you know, of a weekly podcast, or I don't know, just what do you see?
3: Yeah. So A couple of things. One is, you know, you mentioned Pushkin, which is Malcolm Gladwell's podcasting slash audio company, acquiring Transmitter Media, which is, was an independent podcast producing uh, network. And I think that deal kind of spoke to me just this idea of, yeah, like it's a little bit harder to make it as an independent production company. And obviously, some of the consolidation in the space has happened because people want to be able to compete with each other. And to do that, you might need bigger resources, whether it's just the scale of the number of people you work with, or it's literally, hey, we want to bid on a show. We need to have like a budget to do that. So I think that's kind of what you're seeing in the independent production space. Um and then as far as innovation or as far as discovery, which is always a pain point in the industry for sure, you know, it is it is difficult to compete, I would say. Everyone wants to have their show surfaced and heard. And I think part of what we see in the podcast space is really just the struggle to Find the surface area to promote those shows and make them big. A lot of these shows have been around for a long time. They were, they were there, you know, almost since the beginning of podcasting in some cases. Um, and so I think, yes, like this idea of trying to build off of existing people in the space. So as an example, iHeartMedia built a podcast network around Charlemagne, as well as around Will Ferrell, two podcasters that they've already been working with, but sort of see them as like a stamp of approval to build a network around them. So it's not necessarily like IP directly, but it's this idea of a recognizable voice that's respected that can maybe put their weight behind other talent. So I think that's more of what we're seeing now. The question is whether you know that strategy works or not.
0: And it's interesting because one, one thing that we've been talking about a lot, <clears throat> both you know, internally as an agency and also on this podcast is that we're kind of seeing the same thing happen in Hollywood where there's kind of this lack of original IP where the most popular movies of the past year have almost all been sequels or part of an existing franchise. Of course, we're not counting Don't Worry Darling, which we're all, you know, chomping (laughs) at the bit to see. But is it kind of safe to say that the same is happening for podcasting then or Um, just kind of growing pains at the moment?
2: Yeah, I would say
3: that we're, I mean, we're not, I don't think in a phase of, oh, there's not people trying new things. There's a lack of creativity. I mean, you know, there are, of course, the tried and true genres, like true crime, obviously being one of the biggest and chat shows being another format that people are drawn to. So maybe in that sense, you might say, oh, like another true crime podcast, but they're always different stories. It's not like it's, you know, the 10th, True crime podcast about one specific topic or something. Um, I would say it's more of like, how do we surface the work that is happening when you don't necessarily have the TikTok for audio, so you don't necessarily have an algorithm pushing you towards things. And in the movie business, you know, they might not necessarily have that either, but they at least have like these huge budgets to play with. But they're they're going through it themselves. Like, how mm-hmm. do you get people to the theaters to see unique works and to draw attention to your film?
2: Yeah, and kind of to that point on franchising, um, there was a book review in the New York Times recently about this book about cults. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've heard about this, um, but basically a (laughs) true (laughs) (laughs) Max Cutler, right? (laughs) (laughs) Let me break it down. So basically, there's a true crime studio. I'm going to try to pull it up as I. I
3: think it's um, Max Cutler's
2: network podcast. Max Cutler, so. He just wrote a book that each chapter is a different cult. And the reviewer was essentially saying it's a book that is meant to be an audiobook. Like, if you read it, it sounds kind of dry and weird. But if you listen to it as an audiobook, it makes a lot of sense. Like, it's structured and sort of cadenced like a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought that was interesting because I think, too, what we're starting to see, and especially through like Patreon and Substack. Is basically this multimedia empire starting to get built up of, you know, you create this newsletter that's really profitable, or you create a podcast that's really profitable and that being sort of relative, you know, it's like a fairly successful. And then you iterate on that by adding new tiers of content, whether that's like a paid podcast that drops every month, or whether that's a paid Substack that is the sort of bi-weekly complement to your podcast. And then sort of it goes on from there and then maybe you get a book deal or something like that. And I'm curious as if what we're seeing is that maybe the runway for, you know, just coming up with a podcast rising through the charts is narrowing. Like, are we maybe going to start to see more crossover between, you know, the world of Substack or the world of, I don't know, true crime novelists and true crime podcasters? Yeah.
3: I mean, I think one thing you're kind of hitting on is this idea of just one medium, one work in a specific medium, being able to translate across mediums. And that's definitely something people in podcasting are really interested in, like to turn a podcast into a TV show or turn it into a book or turn it into something else. Like, um, Apple TV had some Wondery shows that they adapted. So the straight Next store they did. So yes, like Adapting different works for other mediums is definitely something that the podcast industry is interested in. Um, and as far as like this kind of holistic media environment where you're a TikToker who also has a YouTube page, who also has a podcast, who also has you know an Instagram following of course, like the podcast industry has definitely looked to those types of people to bring them over into the space and have them host. I think there's been some open questions about whether those actually result in listeners because sometimes I think, you know just because you're big on TikTok doesn't necessarily mean people are gonna follow you over and listen to an hour of you interviewing someone. Um, but for the folks who can make it work for them, yeah, that, that has been a successful medium in certain cases.
1: One thing I just don't quite understand about podcasts in general is the numbers. So, like obviously, all these streamers for TV shows, self-report, like there's the Netflix top ten email that gets sent around and stuff like that. There's a general sense of like what is popular. And besides, I guess what is in the top ten on the Apple podcasts uh, app, you know, a podcast could get like three thousand listens. And another podcast could get like a million listens in the case of a, I don't know, Joe Rogan, for example. Do you have any idea of like what kind of numbers are successful for like a podcast?
3: That's like the big question, I think. It's really tricky. Um, Yeah, there's not necessarily a third party that is accounting for every single podcast that's put out and ranking them and putting numbers next to them. So it is really hard to say. I think every network has its own bar that they would consider successful, in my mind, successful enough to monetize. That's how I would think about it. And one of the big plays that all these tech platforms are making is really this idea of the long tail of podcasting. So the idea that like YouTube, you could put a podcast up, and they can just run ads against it. And if you get one listen, you get one listen. If you get 40,000, they're going to monetize on those 40,000. So that's kind of the long-term goal, I would say, of the industry. But we're definitely not at that point yet where everybody's making money and we know how what a success looks like because there's just not really those public-facing metrics. Right. Also, yeah.
1: Oh, I think on. it's, yeah, no, I was just, I was interested because I was reading this ad week piece and it was saying that podcast listening has grown 200% in the last five years Which again, seems like a shocking number, but also relative to like what, you know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. this kind of baffled me specifically as it pertains to brands who are trying to advertise in the audio space in that like traditional sense. So it was saying that 40, and I don't really know what this means. So maybe you can break it down as well, but 43 out of 50 Stitcher or mid-roll listeners. So 86% say that they have taken action due to a podcast ad. If 86% of people are listening to like a mid-roll podcast ad and taking an action, isn't that an extremely high number? And wouldn't brands like want to be flocking to advertise on podcasts if that were the case?
3: Yeah. So is this article from this year? Just out of curiosity.
1: I don't know. I'll have to find out. It doesn't say on the actual piece. We
0: need though. to get like a shared screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Like so- a can pull it up on. <laughs> Okay. So basically what that is saying though, is so mid is actually a company and so okay. is Stitcher and they are now owned by Sirius XM. So I think they're oh, okay. trying to say that anyone who heard a mid monetized show or a Stitcher show took 86% or whatever you said, took action. Um, yeah, that is obviously very high. There's, of course, always, you know, questions around methodology and whatever, and I don't have it on hand, but... I would say that the reason podcasting has oftentimes been seen as a particularly popular place for direct-to-consumer brands to advertise is because it can't be very successful for these folks. The host red ad, the basically endorsement of saying like, I love this smoothie. Like I drink it every single day. It's the bomb. It makes me feel so good. And then someone taking action off of it. Like that, that is definitely the lifeblood of podcasting and has been for many years. So- that does seem really high, but depending on the methodology and obviously how they how they figured that out, I mean, I do like I I lived with a roommate once who would get you know like the podcast products delivered to our house, and I was like, oh my god, like they really take action from podcasts because they're listening <laughs> to those ads. Lifestyle um,
1: baby. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> like the undies and all that stuff. Like it's pretty funny. Like people definitely identify with those brands.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're we're waiting for our Athletic Greens outreach email.
2: Yeah, any time now. If they're listening,
0: um, I'd also like to test out a Ridge Wallet. I do want to get to um, advertising because it does seem like there are a very specific cohort of brands that do advertise on podcasts, and they've seen a really, at least from from like Athletic Greens, Ridge Wallet. Um, I don't know, there there are a bunch of like really kind of smaller DTC brands that I think have seen an outsized like level of success from specifically marketing on podcasts. As there's like more market consolidation and investment, do you see more like big brands entering this space? And do you think they're advertising because podcast advertising is kind of reliant on a host read? Like, do you think it will be? again, like a specific type of brand or um, just curious to hear your thoughts as like where you see the advertising landscape going?
3: Yeah, a couple of things are happening. One is that, yes, with this consolidation and namely the fact that companies have spent so much to bring different podcasters over exclusively or to license their shows or do whatever, acquire companies, they obviously need to make back some of that money. And the companies that are able to really afford you know, higher minimum spends and, and also to be longtime advertisers are oftentimes the big brands. So you can see that there's definitely an interest on the platform side to bring those big brands over. Um so that's part one. Part two is that you know you brought up the host read ad and kind of you're kind of alluding to this idea of like, you know, will that go away or like will that change how people respond to podcast ads? And I think that is something the industry is definitely thinking a lot about. Um, of course, you know, certain advertisers have different goals, a direct to consumer brand. Their goal is to literally like sell product, whereas maybe a Coca Cola or someone else, you know, the goal is more brand awareness. So, you know, different goals could be achieved and the host red ad, you know, it, it, it's something that I think the industry is always thinking about whether, you know, it's compromising if it moves away from that in some ways. And I don't think there's consensus in any way, but I do think that big brands are coming into the space. They might have different goals and those goals might be able to be achieved through podcasting, maybe more effectively than other mediums.
2: Yeah. I mean, just kind of just stay for a second on the host red ad thing. Um, I don't know if you saw that article. It was from a while back on Squarespace and how they basically built a huge part of their advertising early days off of podcasts and especially sort of the ad-libbed host read. And same, I think with like Harry's Razors and a bunch that I kind of associate with like that crooked media podcast period, like Mm -hmm. 2014 to 2016. And I don't know. I mean, I think it had that, I think, very authentic feel. And let me know if you think this is maybe too much of a reach. I think at the time, it kind of had the feel of like, you're scrolling through TikTok and you're watching something that doesn't immediately feel like an ad. And then you kind of realize it's an ad. Like the ad limbed ones almost took on this like product placement-y feeling. And I've listened to a few podcasts recently. I've honestly kind of fallen off, but I'm just curious when you say, will bigger brands... Explore it is that you haven't seen larger brands sort of doing that odd-lived product placement esque thing in podcasting, or is it that you don't think that it will have the same return as it did for a Squarespace or a smaller DTC?
3: Hmm, that's a good question. I'm trying to think um offhand if I've heard. Post-red ad for a big brand. Um, nothing is immediately coming to mind, but that's definitely not to say it hasn't happened because you know, I haven't heard every every ad in the world. But um, oh yeah, looks like you're gonna say something.
2: <laughs> I mean, I I can also wait. I was just curious because I feel like you're starting to see bigger brands kind of play in that space on TikTok of taking on sort of a more irreverent feeling towards their own not necessarily in a making fun of their product way, but letting creators take more leeway in terms of how they represent it and how they talk about it. Um, and I was just curious if TikTok may influence podcasting, if that doesn't sound like a totally cursed question to you. but
3: <laughs> Well, I think one thing you're kind of alluding to, which I wrote about recently is, um, so I wrote about this practice of basically Guests, so podcast guests paying to be guests on a podcast. You know, we might think of um, a host maybe paying their guests or something, but this is the opposite. So, a, gu- a guest paying to be a, um, on a show. And in some of those cases, they weren't necessarily disclosed, or if they were, you know, the, the language varies depending on the person. And to me, that story suggested a little bit of like the influencer culture coming for podcasting, which is this idea of like, hey, this person is kind of paying to be heard and presumably talk about their brand and what they do. And it's it's kind of just this like unfiltered time. Um, and kind of like we saw in the beginning days of TikTok and Instagram, it was something sort of similar. Obviously this was before the disclosure days and now there's the disclosures, but still it's the same idea they're paying to be featured. So I think in that case, and for that story, you can kind of see the world's overlapping a little bit, but I do think that there's going to be, this is me just kind of future predicting. I do think there will be a little bit more crossover between the idea of merch influencers how podcasts sell merch or products what hand those podcasters have in those products like if maybe it's their own products that they're selling you know like if it's something that they're a company they're invested in or a company that they profit from by reading endorsements for those items or just talking about them. so i think that idea of consumerism and shopping i think that that tie with podcasting is going to is going to come closer
0: yeah full disclosure no No fifty thousand dollars were spent in the <laughs> making of this podcast, but that that does provide another segue into kind of what I was about to ask you, which you might have already answered. But you know, been reading about recent collabs with popular podcasts and creators who already have like small but highly engaged communities. So first one that comes to mind is like the throwing fits and Mister Porter collab, where you know Mister Porter is a pretty large e commerce site, and they worked with. Both of those guys who have a huge ish cult following on Twitter and TikTok for that matter to kind of curate a collection also know that How Long Gone has made a collaboration with tennis brand Palm. So I guess just confirming what you're saying is that you think podcasting as a medium or as a channel will be kind of big in terms of brand collabs or a more influential channel in terms of brand collabs outside of just, you know, the um, host read is the word I want.
3: Yeah, I think that podcasters definitely are tastemakers in certain cases, depending on the show content. And I think these kind of more intimate relationships between a podcaster and a brand, definitely, I I foresee it being bigger than it even is now. Um, But of course, you know, that's just me kind of predicting a little bit. So yeah, I, I do think that's definitely a future path forward.
1: Well, also kind of to that point about TikTok, you know, influencing other media spheres. Um, I think paying to be a guest is one kind of portion of it. But I've also heard a lot about micro podcasts and micro podcasting, kind of maybe as like a buzzword or something, because I still have not encountered a micro podcast. But is this something that's actually happening or is it like a trend that I've just seen kind of written about and nobody's actually releasing shorter TikTok length versions of podcasts?
3: Yeah, um, so there's definitely been some platforms that have tried to make short form audio a thing, I would say for sure. Um, I would say that there are definitely podcasts that are trying to be a bit more bite-sized. Like I feel like everyone's always looking to kind of cut down and like how effectively can we say something and how efficiently can we say it? I'm trying to think of if there's a good example of a really short form show. Um, I mean, honestly, I just think of the radio, like a classic radio show, news show, where it's maybe a few minute segment on a specific thing. Um, like I listen to WNYC in the morning, and you know I get my news that way. Not, obviously not fully, but like in the morning I do, and it's really great. It's a super effective medium. I get those sound bites, and I imagine those sound bites can go live on in other places. But as far as like some major shows that are five minutes long, um, I nothing's coming to mind for me. But of course, I can also see this being a thing in the smart speaker world, which I don't have any smart speakers.
1: Right, (laughs) like I just kind of imagine that a lot of creators maybe can't hold attention for longer than like a minute or three minutes. So I think it would be interesting to see if any big creators were to like forge a path with this new trend of releasing short form audio content that kind of capitalizes on their personality or whatever without having to put too much pressure on them to like perform necessarily for a long period of time. Um, And so, you know, several creators, which I will not name come to mind specifically, but I think like with vlogging and get ready with me kind of videos, always sort of trending, it'll be interesting to see if that becomes something in the audio space, specifically since like, I don't know how you feel about Twitter spaces and that sort of rollout and it now, I guess, adapting to fully feature podcasts or like discovery for podcasts. Um, but is Twitter or any other platforms you can think of that we all use, are they going to change the landscape in any way that you are seeing or?
3: I don't know if they'll necessarily change the landscape, but I think they'll just be another tool. So Spotify is doing live audio, as is Twitter Spaces. Of course, Clubhouse is still around. I think it's really just this idea that what is it, what, what can we do with a live format? Maybe how could we engage people more frequently, a little more off the cuff, engage with the audience that we don't necessarily do because we're on demand. But I do think, again, this is opinion, but like, I do think that on demand is, is probably always going to be pretty critical just because appointment viewing, as we've seen with TV, like it's, it doesn't work. (laughs) Like people want to be able to access content when they have the time.
1: So I guess my question, too, is how do brands show up in audio spaces, maybe where they haven't traditionally um, in ways that are effective and add value? And I'm thinking of anything along the scale of like literally a pre-roll, you know, host read ad all the way up to having their own podcast or audio type of thing. Where, you know, for example, I would listen to like the A24 podcast, which I think is great because it's like a whole ecosystem that surrounds the product they're selling versus like, I don't know, another brand that might have a great idea for a podcast, but it wouldn't make sense for their brand. How do brands stand out in the audio space? Like what could they do or what are they doing maybe that we're not aware of?
2: Yeah,
3: so kind of touching on the range that you mentioned, obviously ads, I mean, this is kind of basic stuff, but like you want it to sound good. You want it to sound intriguing. You probably want to make use of music. You want to make use of sound effects. You want it to be something that people actually want to hear and not skip over. So I think that's one. Two is, yes, if you're going the host red route, I think you want to really identify the shows that you believe, whether it's like working on your own or with an agency or whoever, you want to identify the shows that you feel really could be effective for you. You agree, you like the hosts, you have a good chemistry there. They believe in your product and they are enthusiastic to read it. Like, obviously that just makes for a better ad. As far as like the high end of these things, which is like a branded podcast the show that I really think about is the Trader Joe's podcast, which is kind of similar to like what you discussed with A24, where it's kind of this like fervent fan audience and really doing fan service. And obviously not every brand has that. So it's not something that can be widely applied, but I feel like that's something where that show, I'm pretty sure, like, again, we don't have any public numbers or anything like that, but it made a splash when it was announced. i I'm, feel like it has definitely made some inroads for sure in the broader podcast space. Um, Like it has over 4,000 ratings on Apple podcasts, which, you know, we can't put all our everything on that, but like, that's a lot. So I do, I do have to believe people are listening. Um, So I just think like, that's a good example of a show where It is an opportunity for them to talk about their brand, but they're capitalizing on the fact that people are excited about their brand and they know what makes it special. And so I think if you can find ways to continue to do that and identify what's actually interesting there and tell stories around it, that that probably is going to benefit the brands.
0: I didn't know we were going to have to compete with Trader Joe's.
1: So that makes life a bit the, more The new. podcast yeah. that pairs well with the pretzel slims or your favorite, <laughs> yeah. like- the peanut butter filled pretzels, those are my yeah. favorite. Oh
3: my God. Yeah, we um, all have a Trader Joe's product we love, which is I why know. you can see why a podcast, like naturally we're all like, oh, let's just talk about the Trader Joe's stuff now.
0: There's actually <laughs> endless content that you can do with that. That's pretty genius. Yeah. yeah. Um, before I want to get to your a couple predictions you might have into the future of the podcasting space. But before we do that, I want to rewind really quickly to talk about Clubhouse. What happened to Clubhouse? It was like a four billion dollar company. And in my mind, it got kind of sucked into the hype of the stay at home stock of covid companies that kind of banked on the longevity of quarantine activities. So in my mind, that's Zoom, Peloton, Netflix shopify who have all kind of been struggling a bit recently is it safe is it safe to say that the hype around clubhouse or the hype and rather fall of clubhouse is similar to those companies or is it a bit different and do you see kind of a future for a clubhouse within the audio space
3: yeah, I think Clubhouse's story, you know, they're still around. They are trying out some new new features that we reported on and they they just announced somewhat recently. Um, but I think that Clubhouse, yeah, like obviously I think the hype around it was partially a function of everybody being at home and, and starved of any social interaction, of course. And I think the bigger question around Clubhouse was always, you know, is this a full app or is this a feature within another app? And the fact that it was just cloned so widely by like pretty much every tech platform kind of speaks to the fact that like, maybe, maybe that live, just the live audio feature could be a function just within another app. So with Twitter spaces, as an example, you know, I think live will go on. I think that, you know, especially for someone like me, a reporter who, if I have a big story and I want to talk about it right away, you know, live is a pretty great option for that. So I think it will still exist. I I think that it will be, again, like kind of like a tool versus a fully new feature maybe, but, you know, Amazon's doing some interesting stuff. They have a new app called AMP, which they're trying to, I, I don't know if this is a quote, but this is definitely the pitch is like reinvent radio where they're basically bringing on a bunch of different radio stars, celebrities to host live shows where they engage with the audience. But the key feature there is that they can play music so it's not just a talking app, it's also like literally like the radio where you can play music. So there's definitely an interest from the tech platforms to keep live as a, a real format because there's just a lot of money there and still in radio. So whoever can kind of crack that radio money um is is gonna is gonna do pretty well.
0: Well, um before we close out, I do wanna hear any predictions that you have in the podcasting slash audio slash entertainment slash Trader Joe's podcasting space um, wow. before we close out.
3: Man, I, I made a couple of predictions, which is uh, a little atypical for me. So feeling a little vulnerable. Um, I know we'll but... have to
0: put it behind a paywall <laughs> for those who want to hear more. <laughs> right. Exactly.
3: Um, Man, I'm trying to think. I mean, I do think, I mean, there's so many areas I could like touch on, but I guess I would think I predict that exclusives won't be as big of a deal moving forward. I think that it won't be as, I don't think it'll be a full exclusive. I could see a week-long week exclusivity window or a paid, you know month-long exclusivity window. But I think at the end of the day, most content will then be available more widely and advertiser backed. Um, what else do I think? I think obviously consolidation will continue to happen in the space. I don't necessarily see that going away, but I also think that Speaking of like independent production houses, I do think that some of the production that tech companies do as an example, will move out of their internal studios and be more like work for hire. That's just something I'm kind of watching. Um, and then, yeah, I think that as far as like brands go, I do believe that big brands are going to continue flocking to the space. I think more are going to continue to try it. I think the interest is there from the podcast networks themselves and from the podcasters. And hopefully it'll be something where more people can make money from podcasting, which would be awesome. So yeah, I do think big brands will will (laughs) continue to come to the space.
0: (laughs) And where can our avid listeners read more of your hot takes or follow you?
3: So I have a newsletter called Soundbite and I wish I had a, an easy URL to say out loud, but I do not. <laughs> we'll drop it
0: below. <laughs> yeah, um, it's in the
3: show notes, but I'm also on Twitter at Ashley R. Carmen and you can find me if you just Google Ashley Carmen Bloomberg, you'll find my author page. You can follow me there and you can read everything I've written at Bloomberg.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for jumping on with us today. I really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks guys for having me.